We're on a mission from God, Slim said as he limped along the hot blacktop. Would you shut up? Tony said from next to me. Slim giggled without looking back. <laughs> he just kept limping along at the front of the squad. I tried not to look at his right leg, which wasn't really a leg at all. Apparently, it had been blown off in an engagement two weeks ago. Now, from the knee down, it was a collection of feet stacked on top of each other. The only one that had an ankle joint was the one at the very bottom. The rest were just the feet, stacked haphazardly and joined by skin, so that it looked like he'd been born that way. I didn't understand why he would choose to replace his old leg with that, when he could just replace it with a perfectly good leg. Then again, I didn't know how it worked. And from what I could tell, Slim hadn't been right in the head even before the world went to shit. He was a wiry little guy with meth mouth and bad skin, but he knew Tucson and he'd proven his worth so far. I glanced around at the desert landscape. We were just outside of Tucson, which was on the edge of the habitable orange zone. We were headed for a middle school on the outskirts of the city. On either side of the road, the vivid landscape was dotted with various species of cacti, mesquite trees, creosote, and tufts of resilient grasses. We'd left I-10 15 minutes ago, moving slowly past a bombed out quick trip gas station. Our squad comprised two teams for a total of 10 people, including the two men in our striker transport vehicle. We also had two giant class unpiloted combat drones that whirred and clomped along either side of the striker, which rolled along behind us on its eight wheels. Myself, Tony, and Billings walked in a ragged line about 15 yards ahead of the vehicle, the rest of the team either behind it or inside it. Slim walked another 10 yards ahead of us. Dallas was on the gun turret, sitting behind a thomic resonance oscillator. We just called it a chaos gun. Most of us carried spectral emulsion ordnance weapons. We called them ghost guns. Off to my right, I could see smoke rising from downtown Tucson. Some of it was black, but most of it was blue and flecked with lightning. Looks like there's still some stragglers in the city, Tony said, noting the pillars of dark blue smoke reaching into the light blue sky. I couldn't see his eyes behind his sunglasses, but I knew they were sharp as ever. We were the only two surviving members of the original squad. Everyone else had died and been replaced. Tony was a sergeant. I had been promoted to staff sergeant after our last outing. I don't understand why they don't just bomb the city and be done with it, Billings said. There's no way we're gonna win this war. What the hell else are you going to do, Private? I asked. There's no more world left to enjoy. Anything else, he said a little quietly. Just not this. I said nothing. The truth was, there was nothing else to do. Maybe give up? We could do that, I guess. Let the rest of humanity become infected. I figured it would happen sooner or later anyway. Recent estimates said 86% of the world's population was infected. I couldn't fathom it. And I tried not to think about it. Instead, I thought about my wife, Millie, and my black lab, Dorian, back in Phoenix. The last human stronghold in the continental United States. The fight for Tucson was ongoing, but we had them on their heels. There were little pockets of remaining hostels, and our job was to root one such pocket out at a middle school. 
Millie had let slip that her team was working on something that could give us the upper hand in the war, but she was reluctant to say more. She wasn't even supposed to tell me that much. I knew her team was responsible for making the anti-contagion substance, which was the only reason we could be so close to Slim. And while they were struggling to make mass doses, I saw it as definite progress. So I had a little flame of hope in my chest, but I also understood how Billings felt. His hope was gone. And when that's gone, you have nothing left. At that point, completely destroying a major American city sounds like a perfectly good option. We moved on without talking, approaching a subdivision on our right and a few lonely houses on our left. All seemed quiet. From what I recalled from the map, we were getting close to the school. This way, Slim said, pointing down a dirt road. We come up behind the school this way, he said. The toes on all his stacked feet wriggled, making me turn away in disgust. Matter, I called back. Private Matter ran up from behind the striker, dodging around the towering armored robot next to it. Sir, he said. Slim says we go this way, I told him, pointing down the dirt road. Matter didn't even have to look at the map. Yes, sir, he said. We'll have to go through a little desert, but we'll come on the school from behind, near the track field. According to the satellite images, it's clear and flat enough to get the striker through if need be. Thank you, Private, I said, dismissing him. I turned back to Billings and Tony. Let's do it. Slim, hang back with the others. Slim did as he was told, saying the thing about being on a mission from God again and smiling stupidly with his mouth full of ruined teeth. We turned off the street and onto the dirt road, the sun beating down on us and making us sweat everywhere. We were coming upon a cinder block wall on our left, a fence for someone's yard, someone that was either dead or changed forever. I could see that part of the fence bordering the dirt road had collapsed back into the large yard. We approached the hole with caution, glancing inside at the unmanicured desert lawn and seeing pumpkins. What the hell? Tony said. Pumpkins grow in the desert? No, I said. And before I could proffer further explanation, the pumpkins started moving. The orange gourds morphed, developing faces as they bounced around in the yard, hooting and screaming like chimpanzees. Their faces were the faces of chimps, and they bared orange teeth at us. Then they all lifted into the air and arced down toward the middle school 200 yards further on. They continued their animalistic hooting as they went. Well, they know we're here now, I said. Some kind of alarm system? Tony asked. Who the hell knows? I said. None of this shit makes sense. I didn't have to tell everyone to get ready. I was sure everyone had seen the pumpkins. The ground shook as the two giant class combat drones ran past, their gun arms pumping as their giant metal legs whirred. Moving! I shouted as I started to run. We couldn't let the robots have all the fun. As we approached the field with the oblong track around it, several entities flew into the air from the school buildings beyond. One looked like a human male, and he flapped his arms to fly. The other three were distorted mixtures of humans with animal wings. One woman with jet black hair had pterodactyl wings instead of arms. Another woman had huge eagle wings. A naked man had wings coming out of his back like an angel. The giant class drones up ahead registered this. 
each released a swarm of tiny wasp-like drones, which flew up in formation to attack these flying entities. The wasps brought down two of the entities immediately, burrowing into their bodies and disrupting the blue matter formations that gave them their anomalous powers. They went limp and fell out of the sky. Meanwhile, the remaining wasps were chasing around the other two entities, which was just as good for us. We stopped near the running track and looked at the school buildings. Now my whole squad was around me, with the striker backing us up. The two giant class drones approached the nearest building, which was a gym. A cloud suddenly appeared, obscuring the patch of blue sky directly overhead. Skulls dropped out of it, dozens of them. White, shiny, human skulls, all of them snapping their jaws as they descended upon us. Look out! I called, running toward the edge of the small cloud. One of the skulls hit me on the upper back, bouncing off. Another slammed down on my shoulder and clamped on through my uniform. I screamed and ripped it off with one hand. It took a chunk out of my shoulder. I kicked it away as it rolled on the ground, my flesh between its teeth. I got beyond the edge of the cloud and turned around. I knew my ghost gun wouldn't do anything against the cloud. We had to target whoever was causing it, but I couldn't see them. Surveying the damage, my eyes went wide as I saw Billings lying on the ground, four skulls latched to him. One of them was gnawing on his neck in a spray of blood. I clenched my jaw and looked toward the school. As quickly as it came, the cloud was gone. The skulls remained though, chattering around on the ground. It looked as though Billings was the only casualty. Everyone else had made it through with minor bites. I ran up to Billings where he writhed on the ground. After kicking the skulls away, I went to kneel beside him, but he stopped moving as I did. His eyes went blank. Contact! Someone shouted. I looked over at the gym and saw that it had been changed to a castle-like structure. Several impossible entities stood at the parapets of the medieval structure. A massive wooden door opened toward the field and more entities poured out. Most of them resembled humans, but had various changes to their bodies. Many of them had rifles. The giant class drones moved toward them, their controlled innervation gauntlets sliding down and forming at the ends of their mechanical arms. They started punching at these entities. Each one they hit experienced an instantaneous skeletal explosion, bursting apart in a flying mess of blood and blue matter. But they couldn't handle them all. There were too many. I fired my ghost gun at a man with the head of a tiger. The spectral activity engulfed him, swirling around him and causing him to cry out as he fell to his knees. His body shriveled, which was something I hadn't seen before. You never know what you're going to get with a ghost gun. They were certainly effective though. The rest of the squad members were firing their own weapons at the incoming entities, but still, they kept coming. Bullets punched into Private Maddow, killing him. Dallas fired the chaos gun from on top of the striker. It was like a grenade of anomalous activity went off right at the door to the castle. Bodies deformed and twisted into mind-boggling shapes. Several clothing irons appeared and fell out of the air, striking entities in the head. A writhing shark materialized and fell to the ground, crushing several entities. After several minutes of fighting, both of the drones were down, along with half of my men. But I thought we were done. I couldn't see any more living entities. All went quiet. I looked around, breathing hard. Tony limped up to me, looking like he'd taken a bullet to the lower leg. We shared a grimace. 
as I moved off to help an injured kid named Duarte. Something caught my eye near the school. One of the main school buildings beyond the gym-turned-castle was moving. The roof seemed to bow upward from the inside. Then the roof split open, and a massive entity emerged, seeming to grow as it came out. It was a mess of human, animal, and mechanical parts. It had more heads than I could count. Although it only had one massive, drooling mouth, the school building crumpled around it as it grew to the height of a six-story building. Dallas fired the chaos gun at the thing, but it seemed to absorb the shot, swallowing the chaos into its already chaotic mass. Everyone in the striker! I yelled. We grabbed up everyone as quickly as we could, both dead and alive. Even Slim came out from his hiding spot behind the striker to help. The ground shook as the massive entity stepped toward us. I made sure everyone was loaded up before climbing on top of the vehicle and banging on the roof of the cab. Go, go, go! Command, this is Staff Sergeant Wheel. I said. We need a geometric destabilization artillery hit now. We see it. We've already got a jet en route. Command said. Get clear of the area. No shit, I said but not into the radio. Instead of taking precious seconds to turn around, the striker driver just gunned it in reverse. I heard the jet before I saw it, and I watched it as it streaked toward the still-growing entity. I could clearly see the missile release from under the jet's wing. As soon as it was away, the pilot pulled up and out, streaking off to circle around just in case one wasn't enough. The missile hit right on target, about halfway up the entity's messy body. For a moment, Nothing happened. Then, I could see the weapon working its magic. The place where the missile hit folded, the amalgamation of flesh splitting into fractals, like reality itself was distorting. Then it reached out, finding more flesh and metal to fold. The entity screamed with its massive mouth as its body was ripped apart from the middle out. As we pulled back onto the road to head back to I-10, the monster's many heads were pulled into the growing radius and pulled neatly apart by the weapon. I knew that middle school would never be used by anyone again. The effect of the weapon would reach its maximum radius and stop growing, but it would still work against anything or anyone that entered the radius. That was why we only used it for emergencies. I stayed on top of the striker while we headed north. We were going back to our forward operating base, about 10 miles north of Tucson. I dreamed that we'd just keep going that we'd go back to Phoenix so I could see my wife and my dog, but it was nothing but a dream. If I survived, it would still be another two months before I made it back to them. Two months of missions like this one. Two months of losing more men, like Billings and Nada. But as we got back to the FOB, I heard some good news. The few remaining entities were evacuating Tucson in droves. I couldn't smile at the news, not after losing half my men but that hope inside grew just a little more. Maybe we could take the world back after all. Maybe. SCP-3731 is the sapient population of Earth, formerly known as humanity. Following the total containment failure of Thomic symbiote SCP-3396, available data indicate that 100% of the civilian population outside the orange zone has been converted to SCP-3731. The conversion of human beings to SCP-3731 is caused by exposure to semi-tangible blue matter secreted by SCP-3396, which spreads contagiously between instances. 
The incubation period between exposure to blue matter and conversion to SCP-3731 ranges from seconds to months. Organisms exposed to blue matter display extremely unpredictable anomalous capabilities. The effect of blue matter symbiosis on the personality and intelligence of SCP-3731 instances is inconclusive. Available data indicate that instances retain the knowledge and traits they possessed when they were human and almost invariably continue responding to their human identity. While blue matter exposure does not appear to cause psychological symptoms, SCP-3731 collectively display high rates of physical aggression anti-establishmentarian tendencies, and other antisocial behavior compared to human beings. Though communities of SCP-3731 have been observed to organize and self-govern with varying degrees of success, infighting and attacks by other SCP-3731 instances have consistently limited their growth. Field reports suggest that thomic innervation and polymorphic variants of individual SCP-3731 instances continuously increases over time, causing the instances to take on increasingly paranormal forms and capabilities. The resulting accumulation of anomalous activity has had catastrophic effects on global ecosystems and geology. Earthquakes, fire spouts, the appearance of mountains and sinkholes, dead zones incompatible with life for various reasons, and falls of animals from the sky have all been reported. SCP-3731 are projected to render the planet uninhabitable by 2024 if allowed to continue at the current rate.